Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) Welcome, 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 welcome. So happy to be here. The world is crazy. Some people think it's in a mess. Some people think it's going in the right direction. We're going to have a really, really fun conversation today. Listen up, my viewers, my listeners around the world. Hello to LinkedIn. Hello to Facebook. Hello to Voice America Radio Business Channel. We are going to be talking about, well, maybe you're watching what we call police procedurals, crime detective shows on TV. Where did they come from? Would somebody just sit down and say, I'll write a TV show? Did it come from a novel? Let's flip that around and say, what if you're a writer, a crime writer, a detective writer, a thriller writer? There are different versions of those niches, of those genres. We're not going to explain all that today. And you think you can't be a success just selling millions of books. You want your novels to be turned into successful, must-watch appointment TV, they're calling it these days. So where do we find that blend? We've invited four writers of those genre to come and talk about whether they feel their success will be turned into a TV show, if that's the only way, or what's going to happen with the better TV shows. Do they have to come from novels? And who's going to be the one to bridge that gap? And I'm talking around in circles here today. So let me give you a couple of quotes. First of all, I do want to have my panelists just say hello before I have them introduce themselves. I'll call your name and then just wave to the live viewing audience. Dale T. Phillips is back. Hi, Dale. Wave hello. There we go. And we have Joanna Schaffhausen. Welcome, Joanna. And we have Connie Hambly, who is pretending not to be the actress, Diane Keaton. I can say that. And she's agreed. Yes, Diane, it's nice to have you here. Thank you. And Clea Simon is with us as well. Thank you so much. And a shout out to Aaron, our engineer. Let me give you a little bit of background. You know, I love to do buzz quotes. I'm so excited I'm talking fast, and that's probably a good thing. Here's the buzz. I found a quote from a website called Stylist, like hairstylist, dress stylist, stylist.co. UK. So it's a British site. Listen up. The book is better. It's a sentence you hear often when it comes to adaptations of books for the screen. And sometimes it's definitely true. Come on, how many times have you gone to movies? I read the book. It was much better. But plenty of TV adaptations are as good as the book they're based on. Some are even better. And now they say book adaptations have become must-see TV from Game of Thrones to The Handmaid's Tale and beyond. So that's buzz number one. I have a quote now from editorial.rottentomatoes, you know, the review site, movie review site. And they have a a story here called 125 plus books becoming TV series we cannot wait to see. Let me read a little bit, I know. Some of the most talked about TV series of the past few years are all based on novels and other published works. We, in this article, have rounded up a list of books comic books and graphic novels ooh currently in development as tv or streaming series that might have the potential to become the next big certified fresh it's in caps thing alex cross all the king's men all the light we cannot see and nancy boys anatomy of a scandal sum and i have one more quote from imdb the international movie database.com listen up they have a list of tv series based on crime novels there's 
a touch of Frost they mentioned, Jack Frost, unconventional policeman with sympathy for the underdog. And that comes from the series Inspector Frost by R.D. Wingfield. Then they talk about Above Suspicion. It comes from Anna Travis mystery series by Linda LaPlante with an E on the end. And the DCI Bank series, which comes from uh, Inspector Bank series by Peter Robbins. And so I have asked Dale T. Phillips, Joanna Schaffhausen, Connie Hambly and Clea Simon for their take on the future of crime novels. Is TV adaptation required? Is that the quest? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. Dale, it's time for you to smile. Welcome back and tell, <laughs> there you go. Dale was so impressive to me when he was on the show a couple months ago with Eddie Vincent and other authors. We were talking about something about novels, self, self-publishing, self I think. And Dale appreciated that I'm giving a platform to self-published authors and I'm happy to do that. But today we're really focusing on mystery crime detective are we gonna read it we're gonna watch it or are we gonna do both and what are we gonna like better dale t phillips i'm guessing there might be well maybe 12.4 people who don't remember you from the last show would you please talk to the 12.4 and shame on them go ahead dale reintroduce yourself three minutes talk hello to everyone dale t phillips i write scary books and murderous crooks I have a wide variety of genres that I write in, and I am independently published now after starting in the traditional path and then going with a small press uh, because the, in this, the future of, of publishing, you have to be adaptable, you have to be fast, you have to uh, be able to change on a dime, and big traditional publishing cannot do that. They are, they are like you know these huge container ships that just take forever to turn around and change direction. We are adept, we are agile, and we are able to meet the demands of these future uh, uh, service providers of uh, providing content. And there's no middlemen to go through, no agents, no companies, no, no publishers to go through. If somebody comes to us, bang, we've got something for them. Dale, tell me something on our topic today. You're a published writer. Do you yes. think that success today is defined by having a TV show or a movie made from your books? Yes it's, or no? It's not defined. No, it is, it is a wonderful bonus. Now, I have sat at conventions and heard authors who have books that have been turned into shows, and mostly they, they just gripe. You know, they, they love cashing the check, but they don't like what's been done with it. And I heard a panel of really good authors just talk about how terrible the adaptations were. And the thing they have to understand is what they said to James M. Cain. It's like, don't you think the movies have ruined your books? And he goes, no, nope, they're right up there on the shelf, just like they always have been. Still Very, there. And you know, when I put this topic together with you, Dale, I didn't think about that. Are the authors happy with the adaptations? Right. That's a third part of, that's a third leg of the stool. Now we know the stool is going to stand. Thank you, Dale. Welcome back, Joanna Schaffhausen. Welcome. You're new to the show. Very happy and honored to have you here. I'm going to put you on full screen speaker view. Would you please <coughs> in honor of, tell us about yourself, what you do, what you write, and is your success the Holy Grail? Is it getting adapted into some other media? Joanna, welcome. Uh, thanks, Bonnie, for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I write police procedurals, sort of suspense thrillers that are anchored by female cops. I have one series set in Boston and another in Chicago. And I sometimes spar a little with Dale because I'm on one of those behemoth ships that he talks about. My publisher is Macmillan, which is one of the biggies. Uh, and the, the 
uh, imprint is Minotaur Books. And they gave me my big break. I won a contest for the Best Debut Crime Novel Award back in 2016. And that became my first book. So I appreciate a lot of the doors that they have opened for me. Um, nothing's been turned into a TV series yet. The, there's always requests and interest. Um, I think it would be great if it happened, but not yet. Interesting. And I will tell you that I discovered a show called Candice Renoir. It's French. And I watched the first two seasons. She's a cop who had the nerve to go out and raise a family, three mm -hmm. or four children for 10 years, and then come back in. Everybody thinks she is a relic. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know how to turn on her laptop, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and there's this really cute cop guy who's on the new team with her. And they're all trying to, they're going, she says, let's go right. They all go left. She says, let's do this. They do that. And they come gradually to respect her. She's one of a noted, but what I like about it is the personality and the persona and the, the, the little romance is a little sex appeal in there about her and one of the cops and will she kiss the wrong guy. But what I'm really annoyed about is that after I think season three, Netflix no longer carries it in the US. There are four, five, six, seven, four more seasons. And I can't find them unless I get a VPN and do a, a, a ghost IP, if you know what I'm talking about, which I haven't done. I haven't done. Okay. <laughs> but I want to see what happens to Candice Renoir and the guys on her team. I'm dying to know. So I might have to do that. And that, that annoyed me. But I love those female detectives. Thank you, Joanna. So happy to have you here. We have a lot more to learn from you. Connie Hambly. Are you really masquerading as Diane Keaton or are you just No, no I me? promise I, I came as me today. <laughs> well, welcome. Please introduce the real Connie Johnson Hambly to my well, audience. Connie, welcome. Well, as m with many writers, I've had a securitist career in order to become a writer. Uh, former attorney, former uh, uh, banker, uh, financial person, and all of that information went into the junk drawer that is the writer's brain. And I write high octane thrillers with strong female protagonists. I have short stories in Best New England Crime Stories and another short story coming out in April, published by HarperCollins, uh, with Mystery Writers of America called Crime Hits Home. And what all of those stories have in common is what we all do as authors, which is create a really strong central character with a really good story surrounding it. So I am a hybrid author, so both traditionally and independently published, uh, attorney by training, and I circle the air around my ear, because you know what that means. Um, and I also know that uh, writing isn't enough these days, that it is also outreach and marketing. So that, to me, our discussion today also focuses on reader or viewer access whether or not TV is it, whether or not there are other mediums within the future technology that may make our stories more accessible. And what we do as authors, what we do as creators, is we create those stories. And if they're good enough to be on in a graphic novel, which is a different kind of storytelling, or on TV, which is a different kind of storytelling, or whether we're going to get into some of the future technologies about um, content-rich ebooks, cosplay, CGI, etc. It all hinges on one thing, and that is storytelling. Thank you, thank you very much. The real Connie Hambly is here. I, I, I see you now. 
Thank you very much for bringing that up. Yes, technology, the future of anything. Storytelling is is a big topic in itself. I do some business shows on marketing, digital engagement, and we come down to what story are you telling? How do you engage people? It's not just, hey, I got this product, I got this thing, I got this book, I want you to buy it. It's how do you engage with people? You tell a story. And I've noticed in the past couple of years, not a lot, but a lot of corporate people are turning their professional bio into a story. Well, you know, this young so-and-so was shy and they decided that after a while you can't even find their name or their title but it was charming for a while when it was done but everybody was told everything has to be in a story but I appreciate that I've been trying to write my own murder mystery novel for about six months now I gave it up for about two months last night I opened it up and I it's going to be a, a scathing satire on something I'll tell you all off air I I have who's going to die or we think who's going to kill her or we think, but that has not become the most important. I'm telling a story about a community and that has become the star is the story. So I haven't gotten around to the guts of it. And by the way, the title and nobody sealed this is called You Big Dummy. Okay, that's what the title of my book is gonna be. And the opening line is it wasn't a dark and stormy night because the HOA 237 page handbook forbade it. Okay, there you go. You get the idea of what it's about now. Okay, let's go. Clea, Simon, I'm so happy to see you. We have met, what, 12 minutes ago. Clea, Dale invited you. You're now one of my new best author friends along with everybody else. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? Clea, welcome. I would love to. And thank you so much, Bonnie and Dale and Connie and Joanne. It's a, it's a pleasure to pleasure to serve with you. Um, I think the perhaps unique perspective I bring to this mix is that um, I'm traditionally published like Joanna, but I'm very cross genre. My new book, Hold Me Down, is psychological suspense, which means it's about a, a strong but damaged woman who has really got to figure out herself as much as she does have to figure out the mystery, the murder mystery. And I've got a couple of other psychological suspenses too, but I think what I'm best known for are what we call cozies, which are very traditional sort of gentle mysteries, whodunits, puzzle mysteries. So I've been doing the traditional mystery path, but I've been doing it in several different lanes. And Connie mentioned uh, story. I think the other thing we really have to focus on, both in TV and in books, is character. I think that's what people really connect to. Bonnie, you talking about that TV show. What did you talk about? Not the murder mysteries but the characters. Candice Renoir, that's right. That's absolutely right. Fascinating. And the personalities are starting to come through in some of these series. There's another, there's a French series that takes place with a detective team. It's a lead detective and their trainee or the person they're mentoring in different, you know what I'm talking about. It's something like the, the best murder mysteries in the world. I can't remember it. I'll find it later and email it to you. But it's every two episodes, the team changes. So in 18 episodes, you've got team one and two, and you get to know their personalities, their personas, how they dress, how the, the women, what their, what their situation, one, one detective, Clea, is living with two different men who live one house apart from each other. And when she can't <laughs> solve a mystery in the middle of the night, she gets out of Francois's bed, she goes through the gate, she goes up the sidewalk, she goes into Jean's bed, and she talks to him, and they get together for parties with both of her, they're both her legal husbands, and they live one house apart. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but... <laughs> It's very French. And the way she dresses. The Joanna's dresses, just like, hmm. story, it's like, wow. It's just persona, character. Just, um, and they, she does solve mysteries in her own unique way, but it's fascinating. I have a question for you, Clea, since you were last. I'm going to start with you first. And I think our listeners, our viewers would love to know, I would love to know how many 
hours a day do you write? Or is it not a, okay, it's nine o'clock, turn off everything, I got to write for 12 hours. How, how much do you write to be continuing as published authors? And I'm so impressed, Dale, with these, these ladies and where they come from and their backgrounds and their publishers, my goodness gracious, in addition to self. So, Clea, what's your writing schedule? Just briefly, let's go around the table. Clea, then Dale, then Joanna, and then Connie. Clea, sure. how often do you write? Uh, I, I write Monday through Friday. Um, but for me, it's not number of hours, it's number of words. I have a, a word count that I have to hit. And that might mean I'm sitting there writing, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a, makes Jill a dull girl. But um, I have to get, you know, and, and there are a lot, of, a lot of adjectives, a lot of dialogue sometimes, you know, and, and I try to actually stop when I hit my word count. You know, because you want to leave something so that it's easier to start the next day. But I try to hit that, you know, it depends on the deadline, depends on where I am in the project. Thousand words, 1,500 words, 2,000 words a day. And I am sitting here until that happens. Wow. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Are you familiar with those terms? I'm very familiar with those terms. I thought so. Which are you? um, I am a a modified pantser. Um, I have tried plotting out books. When I plot them out entirely, I find that they sort of lose their juice. So they're sort of less fun for me. But I, usually when I go into something, I'm pantsy, but I sort of have an idea. Like I, I knew at least what the emotional arc of the character is, even if I don't know the details. And I think it was Stephen King who said like, it's like headlight writing. Like, you know, far enough ahead is like as far down the road as your headlights illuminate. So I'll know a little bit ahead. Yeah. E.L. Doctorow, thank you very much. Interesting. Dale, you're next. How often do you write? How much do you write? By the word, <laughs> the hour, the minute, day or night, what do you do? I am always the outlier. I don't have a schedule and it's my life is still chaotic and it it comes when the muse comes and says you must do this. And it's it's so antithetical to what you're supposed to be doing in the writing world and I feel like I'm so lazy and unproductive and yet I go to a book show with my large spread of books and people just look at it and they shake their heads and go, "Oh my god. That that's all you do. How do you get done so much?" And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know really." It, it happens. <laughs> it's just it's just wonderful to listen to the muse, and the muse has been very kind these last 10 years, and that's all I've been doing. Well, we say thank you to your muse. There you go. I've written a couple of romantic comedy plays that I produced with some community actors. I had a couple of public access TV shows when I was in Great Neck, Long Island, and it was all done on green screen in the studio, and it was lovely, but I found I started writing usually at 1 o'clock in the morning, and within four days, I had a complete 30-minute play. Characters, scenes, settings, everything, and I have done cold reads of those with people here in my community. I had a, a cold reading salon, if you will, I called it, and 20 people came. We passed around plays I found some rolled doll comedies and plays cute things to I printed them and said everybody pick a script and do a an emotive cold read but my play was among them and people read it and I'm sitting there and I'm saying did I write that that's really fun (laughs) and to be able to sit there and say I like what I wrote I'm sure you all I hope you all have that experience in my own little way it was it was delightful Joanna writing schedule talk to me uh, so I write in bursts. So when I'm right, I'm either writing or I'm not writing. And when I'm writing, I write usually while my daughter is in school. So Monday through Friday from like eight to three is kind of my schedule. And, um, I do about 2000 words a day for 12 weeks. And then I have my hundred thousand words and I'm done. Wow. 
I'm sitting in awe. And we hate I, you, Joanna. <laughs> so just want to no, wait. No, we don't. <laughs> I want to point out that Joanna did this through pa- the pandemic, through homeschooling. Yes, yes. So I think mm-hmm. I was thrown for a bit, but Joanna just kept doing oh, this. I was too. Joanna, is your middle initial D for discipline? <laughs> no, it's H. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know. Okay, uh, we'll leave that one alone. Connie, Connie, tell us your schedule, writing. Well, I write whenever I can, however I can. And I do realize that putting down the first draft, the rough draft, is is an excruciating process. And there are times that I would rather drink bleach than sit down and actually put down new content onto the page. I find that the revision is much easier. I can do that anytime, anyplace, you know, and just um, fine tune and sculpt that. But getting that hunk of raw clay out on the wheel is the hardest thing. And I am a complete uh, pantser. So I am always uh, shocked, delighted, and pissed at what my characters do. Um, And uh, I find, as I said, I find that in the midst of actually creating something and writing, I just have to go into my trance bubble and just make it happen any way I can. Um, I'm fortunate now that my house is relatively quiet, so I don't have to worry about kids to school. And I do applaud uh, Joanna for taking care of uh, business on all fronts during the pandemic. Um, But I find that writing creatively, in other words, getting that raw stuff out of my brain and onto the page is the hardest heavy lifting uh, to make sure. And I have to have the decks clear. I have to have all the business aspects clear, the marketing aspects clear. Everything has to be clear before I'm able to open up that creative door and walk through it. Thank you all. We weren't even planning to talk about this, but I appreciate your sharing. And there's a word people bandy about authentic. Are they real? Are they? Well, you are. I, I, I have this impression. You're all the real deal. Dale, I'm really enjoying your guest today. Thank you. This is, is a nice respite from a lot of business conversation. Don't let anybody hear me say that. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to select a quote from a fictional movie or TV character, not from one of their books yet or from a song lyric, and we're going to talk about what they tell us in their own words. The quote has to do with our topic today. So Dale T. Phillips has picked a quote from a Bob Dylan song, the title track of his 1964 album of the same name, written, of course, by you-know-who, Bob Dylan. And the title is, and the quote is, the times they are a... I hit a bad note there. The times they are a... (laughs) Dale, did I get it right? Talk to me. Yes, (laughs) yes. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, Dylan, get it right. He was, he keeps saying he's not the voice of his generation, even back then when he was, but he said he wasn't. And he was the bellwether. He was the one that said, you know, folks, sit up and pay attention because things are happening. And that was the 60s. And yes, they were. And today in writing and publishing, it's moving so fast. It's amazing that anyone can keep up. But there's so much going on. And and like someone said, um, graphic novels have come in. I've, I've been to shows and I said, my God, all the people here, their books would be great as graphic novels. Neil Gaiman has explored this and been hugely successful with it. And then he can make TV shows, movies, anything, uh, stage plays out of all his works. There's, that's just an example. Uh, I'm big in uh, audiobooks, And like you said, the, your words sound fantastic. When you've got a good narrator reading that story, 
you're blown away by, by what it sounds like. It's just amazing. And there's just more to come. I mean, we have, as we said, these, in, in, these enhanced uh, books that will come with music. They can come with, with links to other things, uh, scenes. Uh, we have TikTok where people are doing very many uh, and YouTube where, where they're doing small movies to enhance their books, to, to give you a flavor of what the stories are like, to entice you in, to pull you in. It's like a, a little movie trailer to some of them. Absolutely, and and I'm glad you brought in the technology aspects of it. Thank you. And Bob Dylan, I believe, also has a song, one of my favorites. It's all good, and I think that's <laughs> we'd like to think that that's where it's going. Thank you, Dale, Joanna. I'm looking at your quote here. You sent us a quote from Roger Verbal Kint, K-I-N-T, a petty con artist in the movie The Usual Suspects, played by Kevin Spacey, 1995 neo noir mystery thriller. Film also starring Stephen Baldwin, Benicio del Toro, Kevin Pollack, Chas Palminteri. Interesting, interesting story. It follows the interrogation of Robert Roger Verbal Kint, K I N T, a small time con man, one of only two survivors of a massacre in a fire on a ship docked at the port of LA through flashbacks. I'm going to leave it there. And here's the quote Joanna has selected The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. Wow, Joanna, where'd you find this? And what does this have to do with our topic today? Go ahead. Uh, well, it's a very fun movie. It's a crime movie. It's a crime story, which relates to our topic at hand. Um, but I think here the devil is the author or creator. Um, I think both good TV series, good movies about mysteries, mystery thrillers, and books, you're not thinking about the person who brought it to life. You're thinking about the characters. You're thinking about what's going to happen next. And the idea that somebody thought this up, that somebody created it, sort of disappears. And those are the, those are the stories that really stay with you. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, let's go on to the next quote. Thank you, Joanna. Very interesting. I've never heard of the movie. I might have to watch it. Connie has okay. sent us a quote from Clarence the Angel, played by Henry Travers in, oh my goodness, going back to 1946, It's a Wonderful Life, the American Christmas family fantasy drama film american yes 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 produced and directed by frank capra based on a short story and booklet the greatest gift and here is the quote strange isn't it each man's life touches so many other lives when he isn't around he leaves an awful hole doesn't he Ooh, connie talk to me well what i loved about this quote um as it relates to our topic at hand here it comes from a movie that is an absolute feel-good movie. You would never think that it would have a, a any kind of darker meaning in it. But yes. when we're crime and mystery writers, and some and there's a stiff in the middle of the living room, um, you know that that death leaves an incredible hole, and into that hole we pour our stories. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I chose that quote because I really do feel that it brings to light something that we authors do, which is there is a void and we fill that with our characters and our stories. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And Clea, give me one second here. I'm going to your quote, which is very interesting. I'm scrolling down. I'm starting to pick predictions already for everybody. So let's go to Clea. Clea, this is a funny quote. <laughs> it's five words. It's from Alfred de Musée, French dramatist, poet and, poet, and novelist played by Mandy Patinkin, one of my favorite actors. The movie is impromptu, a 1991 comedy film. Since getting divorced, Baroness Amantine 
Valentine Lucille Royal Dupin, previously Baroness Dudevant, the successful and notorious writer of sensational romance novels, now lives under the pseudonym George Sand in Paris, has been in the habit of dressing like a man. We'll leave that one alone, but the quote is just, you got to help me with this, Clea. The quote is, <laughs> the horse is a critic. Clea, where did you find this one? And what does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, if I could just back up a little bit, the film Impromptu is this fantastic uh, depiction of the, the life of artists working together. And, and the great Judy Davis is plays George Sound, who's a, a wonderful writer. And she's a real working writer. And what happens is she's feuding with her ex, Dumuzet, and various things happen. He challenges someone to a duel. He's drunk. He's on a horse. It's the middle of the night. He backs the horse into her writing studio, and the horse defecates on the what the the the, the pile of papers that she's been writing. Um, and you know, it's a great comic moment. But it also just sort of stresses one that the world is going to attack you if you're a writer, and two, you just got to keep going. Absolutely. Just got to keep going. Isn't that the truth? Thank you all for the really wonderful quotes. I appreciate it. I love learning about movies and songs and people and places I've never heard of before. So thank you very much. Let's go to our predictions round. I'm starting off with Dale T. Phillips and Dale, let's go to prediction number one. Here's how it's going to work. I'll read your prediction unpack it, take two to three minutes. If anybody on the panel wants to comment on what Dale has proposed in his prediction, just raise your hands. I'll call on you. If I don't see any hands, I will go to the next one. Joanna, I put one in the chat for you. I will pick one for Connie and one for Clea. They might not be in the order in which you sent them to me, so just keep an eye out and let's see how many predictions we can cover. We have about 25 minutes left. Dale sent me the following prediction. He says, in the past, network TV series had more at stake. So they went with long-time best-selling authors series for content. The rise in streaming services requires more content, and there will be more opportunities for smaller budget shows, meaning more opportunities for non-best-selling authors. Dale, unpack this, please. Go ahead. Thank you. Yes. Um, in the past, careers were built on a single show sometimes. People had so much at risk, so much money, so much at stake. And now, as you said, what, 120 shows uh, being produced just at a minimum. The, all the streaming services, they devour content and the viewers are devouring that content as well. Uh, I'm watching current shows and I can't keep up. Shows like American Rust, based on a work. Nine Perfect Strangers, based on a novel. All these expanded series based on a single book. And that's not even a series sometimes. The series do even better. Um, things like Dexter. Dexter was a, was a novel that started out. And boom, look, look how big that, that exploded into. There are so many authors, uh, not just from the past, but also up and coming today, whose work is just ripe for uh, putting into some other medium. And, you know, we just, they, they, they need it. Uh, the authors, a lot of times, would love it because they don't have to be the best sellers. They're going to have to go outside and deeper in uh, to the, the author list to find really good content. But it doesn't matter anymore if you're big or not. What matters is, as we've been saying, the story. As long as that story is gripping, as long as it can hold the audience interest for a length of time uh, through however many series, one series on one season or more, you're going to have a, a winner on your hands. Right, and I, I'm gonna, I'd like to add on to that, um, Dale, with that 
And what I really see happening is that initially it was the best-selling novel that got the TV series. And a lot of that was because the production of the TV series was incredibly expensive. And so they wanted something surefire before they put that, committed to putting that story in front of other eyes. So they wanted a built-in audience. So they looked to the, the storytellers, the people who created the great characters, and said, okay, you know, this is sold, you know, X million copies, we're gonna pin a, a, a TV series on it. But now what's happening is that the production costs are actually getting lower and lower and lower. People are now producing their TV content, their, their video content, recorded content with, their, with an iPhone. Yeah. Um, so what that does is that it allows for Take more chances. Greater, greater risks. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say. It allows for greater risks. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm enjoying seeing is discovering the incredible variety of content that, that is out there. Um, we, you know, to narrow it down onto the crime and, and uh, mystery series, you know, we have seen a lot. So, you know, certainly look at the advent of the true crime podcast and, you know, mm -hmm. the, all of the ex access that comes along with that. Um, and then the stories that are based upon that. So uh, what I see is is um, the scales are tipping a little bit, where it used to be that you had to have a lot of weight on that story, a lot of economic weight, a lot of pre-existing readers and sales on that story before it was able to be elevated to the TV part. But now that those costs are coming down, I'm seeing that that really does open the door exactly as Dale had said, to um, in independent, smaller press books and more uh, creative outlets, you know, uh, creative ideas for their, for their genres. And there's a lot of mixed genres too, cross genres. They're doing supernatural uh, with mystery like Carnival Row. That was a great limited series that just combined the two elements perfectly. And there's a lot more like that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of supernatural shows that have a big mystery element become part of it and being expanded. Plus, we've all been talking about TV. And yes. Dale, you talked about streaming services, but there are all these sort of TV adjacent things, a Apple Plus or, or what's mm -hmm. the CBS, and they all need content. Paramount Plus. Easier yep. to buy, yeah, Paramount Plus. It's easier to buy somebody else's book than it is to hire a team of writers and hope that they hit gold. Right. Interesting. I have a question for all of you before, and Joanna, I'm ready to tee up your prediction in a second. Question is production values. We all know when you've got a big budget production study studio behind you, and you've got all the, the bells and whistles, the smoke and mirrors, all of the CG and all the the special effects, the FX, if you will, that it makes it, it it's visually interesting and captivating for the viewer. We are talking about visual podcasts, if you will. We're talking about short videos. We're talking about TV, maybe movies. Uh, and the question is, are viewers craving those high-end values or would they put up with a camera that's shaking? Would they put up with not seeing the ghost behind? If they read the book, Joanne, if they read one of your books and they said, there was a ghost in there, I know. I just finished watching season one and two of, of uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. And the big complaint online was, and I was not the only, what happened to Kathy Mueller, his love interest, the, uh, uh, pedi the uh, infectious disease doctor? It turns out in the books, he not only fell in love with her, he married her and had kids with her, raised a family. In series two, they wrote her out and they never mentioned what happened to her and he slept with a spy and 
people are saying what? But that's not my question about production value. So my, and I was curious and I looked it up and people say, yeah, what they do, Tom Clancy and Kathy Mueller are in there. But my point is, do you think that there is a craving for the high-end production values that will possibly cost a lot of money? Let's quickly go around the table. Joanna, I'll ask you and then we'll come to your prediction in a second. What do you think, Joanna? I mean, people enjoy high production values. There's no question, but you don't necessarily need them to tell a great story. One of our favorite discoveries during the pandemic was a little uh, like indie movie called The Following, I think, that is about the disappearance of a teenage girl and her father is searching for her. And um, oh, I guess it's called Searching, actually. Sorry. Um, and it takes place entirely on like found camera, CCTV, uh, like web camera, as he's like searching her computer, video chats, like it's perfect. You could practically film it during the pandemic with like nobody in the same room together. It's still a very tight mystery and very compelling. So it can be done. I don't think that that's necessarily where we're headed for all stories to be told that way. I still think for entertainment purposes, people do want to see action scenes and high drama and, you know, like Bridgerton with all the fancy costumes. Like that's not going anywhere. And and when I see a really beautiful opening or a shot, I'll say, oh, that's a drone shot. I know it's a, it's yeah. it used to say, oh, it's an air. They hired an airplane. Now it's a drone shot. Yeah. And what really annoys me, I've been watching Vera, the wonderful, uh, I can't remember the actress, Brenda, Bl- Brenda Blethyn. Yeah. Blethyn. And I, I just, I ended up seeing, I think, 11 seasons in pandemic. They stopped producing on a regular basis. But the opening has been the same for years, and it's boring. It's shots of her <laughs> looking at a bridge, and shots of her with her hair blowing, and shots of her with her hat on, and three people rowing on the Thames River. And I'm thinking, come on, people. You must have more money than that to give her a more exciting opening. And I'm watching other shows, and it's these cool characters. It's just the opening to me is compelling. Anybody else want to say anything about production values before? Well, I just want to give a shout out to, since you mentioned Vera, uh, those are all from the the fantastic books by Anne Cleves, who's a fantastic writer. But uh, Joanna, searching was wonderful. But in other words, the only thing I would add is that it's really just how you do it. And if you can do it smart, I mean, look at back to the Blair Witch. What was that? 20, 30 years ago? I was going to mention Blair Witch. Yes. As we all were. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Handheld camera, but made it look in- intentional and it, it added to the suspense. There you go. Made it look intentional. That's the difference. Thank you for that sidebar. Dale, go ahead. And it's what you said about the technology. Uh, a drone is far cheaper than a helicopter. You get a similar shot uh, for pennies on the dollar. You don't have to have the airplane shot. You don't have to have the second unit shot. You don't have to uh, purchase a helicopter. Sometimes you can put things on your uh, on your phone. Cloverfield, another example. I mean, these all these technologies that are allowing small independent organizations to produce quality content out of anything means that the pocketbook isn't as important now. You don't have to have a major studio funding you for anything, whether it's CBS or Paramount. There you go. Thank you very much for the sidebar, everyone. I appreciate it. I'm having so much fun speaking with all of you. Joanna, prediction number one, TV detectives have a bigger audience, but book sleuths aren't going anywhere. TV needs them for ideas. Joanna, take two minutes. Unpack, please. Uh, well, this kind of touches on some of the things you've already been talking about. There are so many sources for stories right now on TV. Like, 
I can't, we signed up for everything during the pandemic because there was nothing else to do. And now it's like, okay, was that show on Hulu or was it Netflix or HBO? And- Acorn, BritBox, I right, know, exactly. I'm for them all. Yep. And they're all, it used to be that, you know, the major networks would put out their shows and then everybody else would run reruns pretty much. And there were a few, like HBO had their own shows, but mostly like your cable shows didn't produce their own content. But again, as costs have come down, they're more interested in capturing that audience and they are putting forth their own shows. And Mysteries and Crime remains like one of the go-tos. People are very, very interested in these kind of programs. So there's a hunger for content and quick content. And so I think, I think there's gonna be more room for stories that are not bestsellers. I think we've actually seen some, but they still have sold pretty well. I don't know if people understand like how movies get made and versus how books get made. Books have a, like it's, it's inverted. So there's a lot of no in publishing built in at the beginning. Like you have to knock on the door like a million times, please publish my book, please publish my book. And people tell you, no, 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 no. But if you get to that, yes. If the publisher says, yes, we're going to, we're going to, I'm paying you money for your book. We're going to do it. It's the opposite for movies. So like film companies, producers, whatever, the rights are cheap. So you can buy the rights for a book for like a few hundred dollars usually, or a few thousand. It's not expensive. So they basically go around sucking them all up as options. And it means nothing initially. I mean, it's cool. It's, it's interesting, but it doesn't mean that your book is going to become a TV series. And it doesn't mean your book is going to become a movie. The no, it, you get that yes up front. And then the no can happen anywhere right up until they filmed it. They can still say, yeah, we filmed it, but we're not actually going to distribute it. So it's, it's like the opposite. But what the thing about adapting a book that's already been successful on some level is that you're more likely to get to that. Yes. They're more likely to put it into production and put it out there because they know people like this character. They like this plot. It has legs. And so they're more willing to say yes. I did not know that about people buying up rights to books. I had no idea. It sounds to me like, remember when websites, remember web domains and people were buying 10, 20. I had somebody, I have a a web domain, bonnietv.com. And I bought it because I had a couple of TV shows in New York on, on Access TV back years ago. And somebody contacted me and said, I have a client who wants to buy your domain. And I had a feeling it could have been Bonnie Hunt because obviously they had to have the name, but I didn't, she was very up and coming and very much movies and TV and comedy. And I, so who else would it be? Anyway, they offered me so little money, I basically gave them whatever finger was handy and said, I'm keeping it. And I did, it wasn't obviously, but people were buying up and now you look at who owns domains. Same thing as let's just buy them all for cheap and let's just keep them. Dale, go ahead. Yes, publishers uh, did not foresee that. Sorry, sorry, Joanna and Clea, but some of the big publishers did not even foresee the ebook revolution. So they did not include those rights in their contracts. And they got surprised and blown out of the water because they lost billions of dollars from that oversight. And now they're trying to correct that by what they're doing is called rights grabs. They're trying to take all rights for this book and all future universes and formats and everything. And they're trying to do it for pennies on the dollar because they know that that intellectual property, that content, that story is valuable because you never know when suddenly it's going to hit it big and become a gold mine for you. 
Learning a lot. Thank you very much. Connie, let's go to your prediction number one. We touched on this a little, but I'd like you to add a little more. You say ebooks. Ebooks will become more rich content with links to music, maps, lost passages, and more to enhance a reader's experience through engagement. There's that magic E word, engagement. This will provide readers with a more fertile, or some people say fertile, experience for their own imaginations to explore. So how does this, is this in competition with a TV adaption, a movie adaption? Connie, talk to me. I really think that we have to look at what what we're talking about as far as the future and how viewers or readers are actually accessing those stories. And they're usually accessing them many, many times, you know, on their on their cell phone. Um, so what does that mean? That means that um, when a viewer watches something, they are actually watching in a very passive state, whether or not they're streaming, you know, certainly they're watching, you know, the, the you know, 10 hours in a day or what have you, you know, but, the, but it's still a very passive experience. And one difference between reading and viewing is that the readers are very active in it. They are actively imagining, they are actively envisioning these characters. And I think that there is a nexus between the two. And ebooks is the beginning of that nexus between a book and a TV show. Because you can read a passage and if you're talking about, you know, a stone circle in Northwest Ireland, you can click on a link, you can all of a sudden see the stone circles, you can have drone footage, you know, going over the small town in Northwest Ireland, whatever it is. Um, and that allows that engagement. And what we're talking about, whether when it's best selling, Yes, we're talking about a best-selling story, and Clea at the top of the program was absolutely right about one of the engaging factors in these stories is a good, compelling character. Um, But what makes us love our character is our emotional attachment to that character, and that is one of the definitions of engagement. So what I'm looking at um, in the future for the technology is what's um, is that enriched content um, between? It's a nexus between. It could be uh, um, think of a graphic novel. You press on a square. Next thing you know, those characters animate. You're reading a passage. You click on um, looks just like Diane Keaton. You press something, and you have more <laughs> pictures of Diane Keaton on there. Um, and what that does is it allows the um, reader to explore. And I'm not a reader, viewer, there may be another word. Consumer, there you go. It allows that consumer to explore on their own way, their own wavelength. And that, to me, I think is a very exciting future, especially for eBooks. Um, there is another adjunct to that behind the scenes about how much the authors then are going to have to do in order to make that content. And us authors, which is a separate program in- entirely, um, are much more on the forefront as far as our marketing is concerned, as far as our um, getting access to readers in whatever way we can. Um, so, But it will put a tremendous onus on authors to say, okay, where are the maps? Where are the images? What are you basing that on? What are the other links, et cetera? But you know what? To me, that's okay. Um, You know, there is an adage in writing that says, never let your research show. But wouldn't it be fun for authors to then create an ebook with links to a lot of the research where we got these, you know, ideas or images or sense, you know? 
uh, for that. So I really do think that when we're talking about the future of detective stories, mysteries, etc., I think it's very limiting and misguided to only focus on book versus quote-unquote TV, movie, or series, because there are tremendous other avenues coming up, not the least of which we talked about, you know, CGI, there's cosplay. Look at these conventions out there where they adopt the characters and they live in that world. What I'm looking at is a future technology that is a virtual blend of the consumer and those characters. And if you're apprised of the new um, uh, fake fake, uh, the, the, the hyper-realistic... Deep fakes. Deep fakes. Deep fakes. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, deep fakes. I think that that's going to be a fascinating um, interplay where you have, you know, a character interacting with your Columbo from years ago and, you know, putting on the trench coat and looking kind of funny, whatever. Um, and, and so I do think that when we're talking about the future, we cannot limit ourselves to just, you know, story what the industry is doing now. We really have to be way ahead of this and say, what is it about my book that will allow that reader, to, that consumer, correct word, to get to become steeped in my story? Because once a consumer can become steeped in your story, you are golden. You're going to get that word of mouth. You're going to get the sales. You're going to get the cross-pollination with different mediums and different um, marketing outlets. Bonnie, I think Vera took over the the style of Columbo with her rumpled raincoat with her. And I heard, I read that during the pandemic when production stopped and then they came back, they cleaned out her vehicle, that big square box of a car <laughs> that belonged to her father. And she went in it on the set and she said, what did you do to my car? Where's all the junk? That's part of my persona. Where are all the food wrappers? Where are all the containers? Where are all the candies? Whatever it is, how dare you? And I think she made them put pack trash in her car because they ruined it for her. But she's the new Rumpel detective. Dale, you want to say something? Bonnie, speaking of the future, how about a virtual reality game where you can insert yourself into a work as a character and interact like like Connie was saying, really enhanced. Do you remember the game Mist? And mm -hmm. what a what a, a video exactly game. And that was just without characters. Imagine if you as the consumer can open a story and become anybody you want in that story and be part of that. I mean, that's going to suck you in like you wouldn't believe. Look at the virtual reality boom. Right. We're uh, already doing avatars. We're already doing, you know, things like that. But now the, with, um, you know, copyright laws always, you know, morphing and trying to catch up with what these new technologies are doing for us, um, it is not us uh, adopting that character. It is us interacting with that character. And that is a different reality than what we, than what we have I'll done I'll tell before. you, I'm just going to stay to be an old-fashioned reader and I want to read the book. <laughs> I just, I don't want to play. But Clea, I want to get your comment, but I have a prediction for you, Clea. So do you want to make your comment on this? I person? do, I do. I'm going to be, Bonnie, I'm with you. I think that we might like the idea of interacting with our characters, but I think ultimately we want to be entertained. We want 
a story that we don't have any ideas about given to us. So Yes, and I don't want to work and I don't want to dress up. I, I, it sounds interesting, <laughs> but I think that's a, a generation that is very, very young. I'm just taking a guess that will be technologically astute and aware and uh, facile, flexible, where they can click here and do this. And yes, and it will be an experience, Connie and Dale. It will be part of the experience. The consumer experience as the reader or the viewer will be immersed in it, immersive experience. But as a reader, I want to make sure, wait, I want to get one prediction from Clea and then we can, okay. we have only four minutes left to the show. In all fairness to Clea, prediction number two, this is interesting. You say over the next year and everybody disclaimer, it's October or something, late, mid-October 2021 today. Over the next year, Clea says, everyone will be writing about the pandemic, often obliquely without naming it. Clea, two minutes and that's all we've got, dear. Go ahead. Um, we're already seeing it happen. I've, I've just finished Gary Steingart's Our Country, Our Country Friends, and that is about people who are sheltering in place uh, in upstate New York. Um, we're already seeing um, horror films where people, where there's a virus. I mean, it's like after the atomic bomb scares. Uh, you saw all these monster movies because people were afraid of what we could do. Now, and, and you hear it in writers' conversations and blogs when people are, are, are talking online. How do we deal with this thing? We can't ignore it. We're not sure we want to just deal with it directly head on, but in some way it's going to influence all our work. And I think that crosses the board from books to TVs to movies to games. We're going to see the imprint of the pandemic somewhere in there. Yes, and in The Morning Show, which is dropping one episode a week, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and they brought in, for some strange reason, Juliana Margulies as a reporter. Has, did anybody see the latest episode? Okay, well, you got to see it, because if you want to see Juliana Margulies and Reese Witherspoon in a love situation, I'm talking... Yes. You, yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit strange. Anyway, and the ponytail has got to go, Juliana. I don't like the new look. Anyway, the point is, the point is that they have sent a reporter to China, to Wuhan, to what is this thing about people are getting sick? And before he can leave China in the morning show, he's quarantined in a hotel room and he's complaining about crappy hotel room in, the, in, in wherever LA or New York, wherever they are. They're saying, what do you mean crappy? We put you up at the, the highest, most expensive hotel in, in, in Wuhan. What are you talking about? And he comes back and said, people are getting sick. No, they're not. And they're trying to introduce the concept that nobody took it seriously because this is supposed to be February or March of 2020. On that note, it has been lovely. Dale, I got to break it to you. I got a prediction. I think we need to get this group back for part two. Would you all like to come back for part two? Oh, that'd be wonderful. That'd be blessed. There's so much more to talk about on this. I think so. I'll send you all a date. That's my prediction. So I want to say thank you, Dale T. Phillips. Everybody applause for Dale for getting us all together. This has been lovely. I learned so much. I love when we veer around the topic. Vera, I'm, I'm, yes, I will go back and finish Vera. I do love her. Clea, thank you so much. Joanna, thank you so much. Connie, thank you so much. I want you all to put up your, thank you to Aaron, our engineer. I want you to all put up your finger and wave your finger because we have a no-no to tell the audience. And the no-no is, if somebody comes to you and says the future is already here, you're all going to say on the count of three, oh, no, no, no. One, two, three. No, no. Come no. on, together. No, no, no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't <laughs> happened yet. And we're all here to make it a more interesting one, a safer one, a healthier one, a better one, a more fun one, whatever adjective you want to put in there. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye, LinkedIn. Bye, Facebook. Bye, Voice America Business. Everybody wave. Stick around for pictures panel. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. 
Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.